Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of the Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 945, chapter 145, Stories. Ambrose had been blessedly absent during the winter term, but when spring arrived, he came back to roost like some sort of hateful migratory bird. By no coincidence, the day after he returned, I skipped all my classes and spent the entire day making myself a new gram. As soon as the snow melted and the ground grew firm again, I resumed my practice of the Kitan. Remembering how odd it had looked when I'd first seen it, I did this in the privacy of the forest north of the university. With spring term came a new round of admissions. I showed up for my interview with a profound hangover and fumbled a few questions. My tuition was set at 18 talents and 5, earning me 4 talents and change from the bursar. Sales of the bloodless had slackened over the winter as there were fewer merchants visiting the university. But once snows melted and roads grew dry, the handful that had accumulated in the stocks sold quickly, bringing me another 6 talents. I was unused to having so much money at my disposal, and I'll admit I went a little mad with it. I owned six suits of clothes that fit me and had all the paper I could use. I bought fine dark ink from Arue and purchased my own set of engraving tools. I had two pairs of shoes. Two! I found an ancient ragged Yillish dictum buried in a bookstore in Imra. Full of drawings of knots, the bookstore owner thought it was a sailor's journal, and I bought it for a mere talent and a half. Not long after, I bought a copy of the Herborica, then added a copy of Termagus Technica, I could use as a reference while designing schema in the privacy of my own room. I bought dinner for my friends. Auri had new dresses and bright ribbons for her hair. All this and still money in my purse. How odd. How wonderful. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jeremy. And uh, Jordana, still away. Mm-hmm. Jordana still is away. buried under uh, a mountain of her own belongings in various cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A tragedy. I'm going to take up her traditional role on this podcast. In your book, the second sentence of the second last paragraph on the page. Uh, full of drawings of knots, the bookstore owner thought it was a sailor's journal, and I bought it for a mere talent and a half. Okay, in my version, the sentence starts, because it was a f- it was full of drawings of knots. Oh, that's Which I actually like less. I think that the way it is in your version is better. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, I think some some persnickety copywriter was like this sentence isn't clear enough, and I think it was perfectly clear the way it ha- it was it was before. But absolutely, more. considering other errors we've found that are actually errors and do bear corrections, I'm surprised that of all things made it into the second edition. Hmm. So the books are called what? I have her- oh Heroborica, which I always misread as Herborica. It's the Heroborica. Uh, a copy of Termagus Tekina, which I also misread. Mm. I said Technica, mm-hmm. probably because I, you know, it's a word that I have encountered in, in the real world. But no, it is Tekina, so I, I misread those. Mm-hmm. The Herobaroka is the book that uh, the the sort of healer woman in uh, Levenshire had and had annotated. Yeah, so maybe Kroth is beginning his own practice. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's like, hey, she had a she had a good notion there. Maybe I'll make some notes on this as I go as well. Yeah, and he's making. Uh, he also has a reference material for his own schema. He's setting up his own little laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his own design firm, both yeah. Technologies. I love the description of Ambrose as a hateful migratory bird. That is such a wonderful image, and it does kind of like make me start picturing 
Ambrose is a little bit more avian, like in a big like fur coat with a with like a, a fluffy like feathered collar. You yeah, know, I can like see that. Strutting that's around. A, that's a good design uh, design prompt. Mm-hmm. Where's Jordana? Where's Jordana? We need her to draw mm-hmm. the bird like uh, Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Also, he tosses off the gram so quickly. I, I had forgotten this, but he actually ends up with the gram again at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's regaining his items, yeah. and like I think that that little sentence does a lot of work. Is like he's still even through even though he's been through all that he's been through in a different story he might return to school and regard this bully as kind of like small fry not really worth worrying about anymore you know after you fought Falurian and encountered the Cathay what what terror can Ambrose really hold but that's not Quote's attitude Quote's like no this guy is still a threat he probably wants to kill me I need to guard myself against him Mm -hmm. it also just feels like good practice to carry a gram around when you're our enemy. I suppose that's why they the guilders are grams as well. Mm-hmm. But I think for most people, the the actual protective function of it is is not actually front of mind. Like it's it's more like oh, this is like my medal that I got for getting this far. But I don't think anyone anyone besides Quoth has like mortal enemies who could use you know dark magic against them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems a little bit vestigial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kvothe goes off to the forest to practice the Catan. Now, I'm not saying that Brayden does the Catan, but if someone did glimpse Kvothe doing the Catan in the forest, wouldn't that sound a bit seem a bit like a uh, a a pagan ritual? No, I think it would seem more like he's a puff doing like dance routines. Hmm. <laughs> Both equally <laughs> valid readings uh, <laughs> by the uh, ignorant hoi polloi. That's right. Of, of Imra. Yeah. Um, um, but I guess the, it, not that there's significance to it, but it does remind me of, of Brayden's um, so-called pagan rituals. Yeah. That's a good connection. Like when you're going off to do stuff alone in the woods, it's kind of inherently suspicious because you're obviously doing that so that no one will see you doing it. Yeah. And if someone were to glimpse you, you know, if you had no idea what Tai Chi was like, absolutely no idea. And you saw someone doing it in secret, you might, think that was weird i might yeah especially if you were a rube mm-hmm. which i am yeah um rube build I, so quoth pulls the same admission scam that he did last time but he doesn't make nearly as much money and i think that this is deliberate on his part i think he knows that if he kept showing up to admissions and just absolutely bollocksing it up that the masters who all know he's really smart would get wise to be like hold on did he get like dropped on his head a bunch between like this year and last year? Why is he so dumb now? So I think he is, he knows that he can't get away with doing that all the time. So he has to be a little bit more circumspect. So showing up hungover and like, you know, not whiffing it quite as badly is the safer call. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how the scam works? Because I'm still a little bit unclear. Is it that he's getting a cut of his own tuition or is it that, Yes, he's being paid over and above what so his he has is. made a deal with the bursar where he's deliberately going to do badly on his entrance exam so that his tuition is set very high. Uh, the bursar, he and the bursar have agreed that the school will get ten talents of whatever his tuition is, and then the remainder of it is split between Quoth and uh, the bursar guy, or rather, sorry, Quoth gets the remainder. 
I think he gets half of the remainder or something like that. But I guess what I'm confused about is like on paper. On paper, the answer is don't worry about it. Okay. Because We've already he... discussed this. It isn't explained. The answer is don't worry about well, it. Well, I know. I have been thinking about it. And because the mayor's line of credit is uh, is endless, doesn't it make... Because like, if they look at the books and they go, hey, we set Kvothe's tuition at 18 talents, but he only paid, uh, I don't know, 12 talents. Like only 12 talents came in. Wouldn't they be suspicious? But if they take 18 talents and then the bursar charges the mayor 18 plus half again or whatever... That I think no one would look at. So that's why I sort of went, is the idea that he's being paid over and above what Like the, the bursar is charging Alvaron even more than what the tuition is so that on paper the full tuition gets paid and then they pocket the difference? Yeah, that's kind of what I was imagining. Okay, well maybe that is, but it's never brought up and I don't think it's worth worrying about. The deal that he strikes with the bursar on the page is that he unofficially collects his agreed upon cut half of everything over 10 talents. Uh, a couple other things I want to talk about on this page. One of them is uh, extremely real to want to buy dinner for your friends when you come into money. Uh, my podcast riches, uh, thank you listeners, have have uh, made me flush. And as such, I really enjoy uh, treating people. It's really nice. It's nice yeah. to, be able to do that. Yeah. I, I want to get into this on the next page because I think it becomes... Well, actually, you know what? It doesn't come up. So never mind. I'm going to get into it on this page. But yeah, I think this... Quoth having a steady income, this is kind of part of the fantasy of the book, but the fantasy is being like being flush and being able to treat yourself and treat your friends. Like, you know, I think I, like many people, have have thought about what would I do if I won, you know, the lotto jackpot and suddenly had $50 million to play with. And frankly, I can't really imagine, you know, I can imagine like what I would do for myself with like $10 million or $15 million, but much higher than that, and I can't really think of anything that I personally would really want or need that would require me to spend that much money. So what I start fantasizing about is all the nice things I could do for other people in my life, you know, paying off people's, you know, student debt, pay, you know, buying someone a place to live so that they don't have to pay rent anymore, things like that. Exactly. So the question becomes, how come people who actually have that much money don't do it? Mm -hmm. The answer is there should be 100% wealth tax after a certain point because you simply don't need that much money. Indeed. And furthermore, having that much money uh, warps your brain and warps reality around you. And the combination of those two things make you a monster, even if you didn't start out that way. Mm -hmm. I just rewatched uh, Blade Runner 2049 and uh, the inhuman monstrosity that is um, Jared Leto's character. Jared Leto. Oh, you know, on and off screen uh, <laughs> was a stark reminder of that. And I think it comes across very well in that movie, which hot take is a better movie than the uh, original Blade Runner. Don't at me. There is one other thing I want to talk about on this page, but I want to actually flip the script a little bit because there is a relevant letter. So I want to read the letter first and then talk about the bloodless. So if you'll indulge me. I will indulge you. But buy me dinner first. Uh, this letter is from Zach, who writes the arrow catch in Warfare. Hello, pagecasters. I'll try to keep this short. I know I do have a tendency to ramble. Recent episodes have discussed the arrow catch and how it has become very popular, a very popular design at the university. The arrow catch in general has always intrigued me, specifically as how it relates to warfare. I'm not exactly well-versed in strategy or tactics or anything like that, but I feel like the sudden introduction of force fields into this time period would dramatically change any sort of war. A kingdom commissions 2,000 of them, 
each with eight springs, and suddenly their opponent has no effective ranged weaponry. The kingdom's artificers experiment with the formula, make a bigger arrow catch with new runework, and there go your catapults. Sieges would become steamrolls. No wonder Code is so haunted, so ready to agree with those who blame him for the state of the world. He's Oppenheimer after they dropped the bomb twice, except reversed, sort of. Anyway, firm regards, signed, Zach. This is very interesting to me and was not uh, an angle I considered. We have talked about um, artificery as uh, weaponry in the past, but we haven't really talked about it in these terms, that the arrow catch, which Quoth is thinking of in you know terms of like, oh yeah, it'll stop an arrow from a bandit on the road. If it's produced at scale, it changes the nature of warfare. And as Zach points out, uh, it means that you essentially have to turn all wars into uh, into like blitzkrieg melees. Uh, sieges become impossible as well. And uh, perhaps more importantly, uh, if this does become a desirable weapon of war, then Quoth has turned the university into a military target. Because, of course, any military would want to control the means of production of these weapons. Not to mention yeah. the uh, the lives of those capable of making them and the industry around them. So IMRA, all of the imports and, uh, and, and tools and um, infrastructure that exists in IMRA to support the university and the artificery, uh, that could all get, get uh, captured and turned into a factory for arrow catches. And we know what the mayor is like, or at least we can infer what the mayor is like as far as pragmatism and warfare. So uh, that really rang a little bell for me. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really interesting idea. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's something that we learned about the direction that this that that everything takes in book three. I mean, I think you could even go further with it. And like, you know, maybe some other artificer, maybe even an old enemy like like Ambrose uh, finds a way to weaponize the arrow catch, which is, you know, meant to be like a defensive thing and finds a way to to like, you know, you know, turn it around and make it into like something that hurts people directly rather than. Yeah. You know. Well, the idea has already been planted, right? Cause they even say when he's building it, like what if it was, there's a rune, a rune for bone in it, right. It would turn into an awful, right. Like, to a bomb. Yeah. Essentially instead. It would just mm. like <laughs> just annihilate all bones within range of it. Quoth having an awful like hallucinatory vision where he he puts his foot into the the uh, bone shattered corpse of a child. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to riff on Oppenheimer, but it's sort of riff proof at least at this time. It hasn't <laughs> percolated enough. The memes haven't drifted up to the surface. Mm-hmm. Also, I guess we might be technically strike breaking if we if we talk too much about Oppenheimer, we might be seen as promoting it. So. Uh, leave us to say that uh, you should support the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes, and we'll see you tomorrow for another page. Yeah, uh, look in the show notes for uh, ways to support uh, not just SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, but uh, other uh, striking workers. Uh, if there's a strike in your neighborhood, support it. Uh, if you drive by a picket line, honk. These small mm-hmm. things make a big difference. The only way we are going to get out of this is uh, through labor action. The only way we will save our planet is through labor action. So uh, best of luck to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wind. Bye. Bye.